Hello, my rebels. A big show today. It's election day in Alberta, but we managed to squeeze in a great interview with my friend Aaron Gunn, the documentary filmmaker, who has a viral hit on his hand it's called Canada is Dying. He'll take us through the movie and actually how YouTube tried to stop it. That's a crazy story right there. Um, I want to also say that tonight we have a live stream on, an election live stream for the province of Alberta. So feel free to tune in then. That's if you're listening to this on election night, it's 8.45 Eastern time, 6.45 p.m. Mountain time. We'll be live. All right. Here's today's podcast. I want to talk to you about something because we have a, a new sponsor and I came across them on my own and I said to the team, Hey guys, this looks interesting. And I was told Ezra, they have already reached out to us to advertise. I said, come on, this new organization called the wellness company. And they are now sponsors of our live stream. Can you believe it? And here's my favorite part. They give a discount to Rebel viewers if you use the coupon code REBEL. Let me tell you a little bit about them. I'm going to give you their philosophy. Our medical system is failing because of oppressive government health policies and the lack of appreciation for natural approaches to staying healthy. Isn't that the truth? Eh? They shut down the gyms during the pandemic. This is where the wellness company comes in. By unequivocally and unapologetically standing up for medical freedom and the right to affordable health care, TWC, the wellness company, Vision champions the right to make one's own choices for their body. They strive to build a new healthcare system that earns people's trust, governed and operated with transparency and offering the highest quality practitioners who align at their core with the fundamental belief to put the patient first. So it's medical and philosophical. The fabric of this company has been woven together by its medical team, whose courage and bravery in their fight for medical freedom and truth as well as their devotion to the public, will help to ensure improved health outcomes, convenient access to physicians, and lower costs of health care for patients. And I know two of those people personally. Dr. Roger Hodkinson, MD. Dr. Julie Panessi, PhD. I'm excited about these folks. Check them out at twccanada.health. So it's not a .com, it's a .health. And by the way, Peter McCullough's with them. That's amazing. That's amazing, isn't it? So go to twccanada.health, but you've got to use the promo code REBEL if you want the 10% discount. And uh, you can go directly to twccanada.health slash REBEL as well. So I am excited about these guys because A, I know them. B, ideologically, they're ringing my bell. And C, sounds like a necessary uh, effort to fill a major void in our system. So I think that's the kind of thing that Avi was talking about there. If you are in, if you are fit for Rebel News, we would love to have your ads. And TWC, Canada.health is absolutely bad. I'm excited about this. When was the last time you saw me do an ad read? I don't do ad reads if I don't understand and agree with a company. I'm not going to do an ad read for the NDP. They'd say, here's $100,000, do an ad read. I'm not going to do that because I don't believe in them. It's a pleasure to have an advertiser that we can actually believe in. So use coupon code REBEL, though, if you want your 10% off, and I hope you do. 
Tonight, Alberta goes to the polls, plus a feature interview with Aaron Gunn, a documentary filmmaker. It's May 29th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. Everybody, it's great to be here. Uh, I'm, I'm excited because I'm recording this um, on Election Day in Alberta, but before the polls close. When the polls close, we will be doing a live stream, as we often do. I'll be out here in our world headquarters in Toronto, and Sheila Gunn-Reed and Adam Sos and other of our Alberta team will be on the, on, on the ground out there. But what makes me excited about is, first of all, the substance of the election. Like, it couldn't be a starker choice between Danielle Smith and Rachel Notley, and really, Truly, the future of the province turns on this. It's, I'm not exaggerating. People often say this is the most important election ever. That's often not true, but oh my God, is this one important. But I'm also excited about it for, for personal reasons, because tonight is the night we debut our new studio. I'm recording my live stream, sorry, my my. Ezra Levancho, as we call it, from our boardroom, because we've sort of been camped out here while the construction crew works in the old studio space, building the new studio. Well, in just a couple hours' time, we will go in there and try it out for the first time. There might be the odd glitch, I should warn you, because we literally have never broadcast anything before. It's sort of dramatic to go from never using a space to live streaming it in the first time, but that's what we'll be doing. Um, so I hope you enjoy it. In fact, by the time this show you're watching airs at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 p.m. Mountain Time. Well, our live stream starts just shortly after that. Our live stream starts at 8.45 Eastern Time, 6.45 Mountain Time. It's going to be a long night, uh, could be, or the results, you know, you know, it's really a two-party outcome there. So there's, there's not going to be a minority government situation. It's either going to be Rachel Notley or Danielle Smith. The question, I suppose, is will it be tight and close or will it be a landslide? We'll find out. Uh, so that's tonight, and I would encourage you to hop on over to the live stream, which you can follow us on YouTube and Rumble and our other streaming systems. Um, but I do want to talk to you and uh, show you an interview I recorded with my friend Aaron Gunn, who's just an outstanding filmmaker. So I'll show you that, and then I'll come right back and I'll read a couple letters to you. So here's my interview with Aaron Gunn. have a lot of opinions, but quite often they're spoken in a dry way, almost like a mathematics professor. I think conservatives like to argue, I guess what we call left brain, like an engineer or an accountant. And too few people who care about freedom and privacy and, and smaller government think about things artistically, think about things in the manner of Hollywood, think about emotion. Uh, we eschew that. We don't have a lot of comedians on our side of things. And so when we find an artist or an author or a songwriter or a filmmaker who promotes an agenda of freedom, well, my God, that is the time to lean in and help and watch and learn and spread the word because we are outgunned in that side of things. And I am talking about a friend of the show, He's my friend, too. Aaron Gunn is his name. He's an outstanding documentary filmmaker, and he has done it again with a hit, unfortunately, on a very sensitive subject. The title of his new documentary is Canada is Dying, and it's an homage to Vancouver is Dying, 
a spectacular viral hit he did a few months back when Vancouver had its turning point municipal election. And incredibly, they threw out the hardline socialist NDP MP who was the mayor. And I am hoping in my heart of hearts that Canada is dying will also serve to wake up Canadians coast to coast to what is happening to this country. What a pleasure to be joined now via Zoom by the filmmaker himself, Aaron Gunn. Aaron, great to see you again. And I wish there were more people who believed in freedom in the creative arts because the whole industry depends on freedom. Hollywood depends on freedom. Artistic liberty depends on freedom. Too many people in that industry forget it, but you're, you're out there fighting the good fight. What would you say motivates you? And then we'll, we're going to get into the movie in a second, but why are you a creative guy when so many on our side of the aisle are not? Well, let me first say thank you for having me, Ezra, and I wish there were more uh, conservatives and common sense people in the media as well. So thank you for the work that uh, that you're doing. But I think what motivates me is, um, you know, as someone who's forced to consume so much liberal content because it's so ubiquitous and out there, uh, that no one's telling in a lot of cases in depth in these kind of documentary fashions, uh, the other side of the story, which obviously you do a lot of at, at Rebel News. And uh, growing up on the, the West Coast or the left coast of Canada here in British Columbia, uh, for the past 20 years, I've grown up in seeing the results right in front of me of these failed harm reduction policies or so-called harm reduction policies. And I've watched homelessness, drug addiction and violent crime get worse and worse and worse. And I wanted to know why is this happening? And we looked at it first in Vancouver is dying. Uh, and then after I made Vancouver is dying and it blew up, I heard from people across the country, especially across BC, but also across the country saying, you have to come to my city because it's happening here in Kelowna or it's happening here in Lethbridge or it's happening here in London. And uh, so we came out to try uh, travel across the country and figure out, uh, hold on a second, this isn't just a Vancouver problem, uh, what is happening uh, in Canada? So that's what motivated me to make uh, this specific project. Well, I'm so glad you did. And what's the view count? How long has it been uh, online now? And how many people have watched it so far? Uh, well, uh, the two main places it's posted are, are uh, Facebook and YouTube. You can also find it on Rumble. But it's been up for about six days and uh, combined, it's got about 800,000 views right now. That's incredible. I, I want to tell you, by reference, uh, the CBC's flagship news show called CBC The National often is in the two to 300,000 views space. So you are... Uh, just blasting it. That is enormous. And I congratulate it for you. Hey, just for folks who haven't watched it yet, I want to really get them excited about this. I want to show them the quality. I mean, this is this is uh, Netflix quality. This is theatrical quality. And, and we're very proud of you. And we're trying to get into the documentary space a little bit. So I know how hard it is. And I, you know, you're a tough uh, act to follow. Uh, I want to show people some of the heartrending and very compelling things. Uh, let me ask you to choose of all the things that, and you traveled the country, what was the biggest surprise that you came across? I mean, we all know that Canada is going in the wrong direction, but was there something out there that really startled even you? Well, there's a couple of things that startled, startled me when making this documentary, unfortunately, um, especially well, starting off with violent crime, some of the insane sentences and people that our justice system or so-called justice system have been letting out on bail. But um, the biggest surprise, if you made me choose just one, I would have to go toward the end of the documentary when we start talking about what's fueling all of this violent crime, the drug addiction crisis that is sweeping Canada, and this new so-called safe supply, uh, where the federal government has started basically 
flooding our streets with opioids, uh, unbeknownst to most Canadians. And we interviewed a pharmacist who didn't want to be, uh, didn't want to be recognized, didn't want to have her face shown. And she was telling us what was happening at the pharmacy that she was working at. And uh, so uh, I'll get this clip. And, and she actually said that there were doctors where she would call down to the doctors who were writing these prescriptions saying there are people coming in with these prescriptions of powerful, highly addictive opioids who walk out of the pharmacy every day, this is a daily prescription, and sell them right in front of the pharmacy. Someone comes and picks them up and you're, the person who you've, your patient that you've prescribed this to isn't actually taking his medications. And the doctor said, uh, well, I'll watch the clip and I'll, you'll see what the doctor said. Yeah, here, let's take a look. It doesn't even sound real saying this, but like I have patients who the whole reason that they became addicted to opioids was because one time their doctor prescribed them Oxycontin, they got hooked. So I have th those people who are now getting this prescribed safe supply, they're selling to other people who are just gonna end up in this same thing, like it's just this circle. During the huge ramp up of legally produced, clearly labeled, consistent quality prescription opioids, more Americans and Canadians died of those legally produced opioids than died in World War I and World War II combined. And that was, that is very, very recent history. We got here from companies saying this same line of reasoning, you know, don't be opioid phobic, we're going to prescribe these very generously, we'll give them out in the community in all kinds of ways at a much higher level than we ever have. And uh, because they are FDA approved or, or approved by you know, Health Canada, um, they're safe. And you know, millions of people got addicted, hundreds of thousands of people died. And we still have people dying from those medications today, including, by the way, a number of the people who are dying from street fentanyl, if you follow back their story, they started on one of those, you know, allegedly safe, uh, you know, opioid prescriptions. I, I tell you, and of course, of course, everyone knows that's going on. Of course, every, that's so secret. That's incredible. Well, uh, you know, I, I think that some Canadians, I mean, we, let's be honest, Canada sometimes has a bit of a smug superiority complex. Uh, you know, listen, I love being Canadian. I would want to be nothing else. But you know, I know chapters indigo, they say Canada, the world needs more Canada. We have the best healthcare system in the world. We're nicer than America. Like all these things are a little bit of smugness. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes they're true, but sometimes they're not. And I think Canadians think, well, terrible crime and terrible homelessness, that's America. That's the hard hearted mean streets of America without a social safety net. I think that I think that Canadians overestimate how how our streets are, especially Canadians who don't get out and go to some of the downtown areas. What would you say if you had to choose the worst thing that you discovered? And I wouldn't call it maybe a surprise, but something that maybe caught, if a Canadian saying, well, that would never happen here, that's maybe Skid Row in LA, or maybe that's the worst part of, uh, you know, Portland. What would you say the worst thing that you discovered in your tour of uh Canada's dying. Well, I mean, there's a, I, I would, I'd say two things. I mean, I mean, one thing I would have to say is just that how the downtown East side is, is at this point, basically apocalyptic. It's, it's, it's some dystopian alternate reality, the zombie like apocalypse, but uh, across <laughs> British Columbia, especially uh, across British Columbia, especially this is happening in every small town. I mean, I, I'm on Vancouver Island, Ezra, 
And I mean, towns is that have, you know, 30, 40,000 people, Campbell River, Duncan, Nanaimo, which we spent a lot of time in Victoria. Uh, I mean, they all have these mini downtown east sides now that that have popped up in the interior, Penticton, Kelowna. And it, it's an elsewhere of the country, but in BC, because you have this obsession with, with uh, you know, basically enabling and normalizing hard drug use and homelessness, you get more of it. And it's it's really sad to see. And it's not just limited to Vancouver anymore. Now, I will I will say, I'll give you that other clip, but um, the first kind of half of the documentary or the first third is also about our criminal justice system. And I sat down um, across from a mother whose son was murdered in one of these random violent attacks. And to hear her story and, and how hurt she was. So just, just to cover this, uh, this happened back in 2017, okay? Her son uh, was violently stabbed to death in the middle of a street by someone who didn't know. There was actually, he stabbed someone else. He went to help this person who had been stabbed and then he himself got stabbed oh in the heart. Oh my God. Oh, stabbed God. 14 times, Ezra. Oh, and as I was interviewing her, the mother, I found out that the person that stabbed her son 14 times to death had already been released on parole. Oh. This this happened in 2017, and to sit there and just you know think about it, like that's not that you know that's not a long period. That's six years. That's six years already released on parole, already walking these same Canadian streets, and um. The shocking story, and I, I would hear this over and over again, but uh, or read about it. But uh, as I'm sure you know, like when you actually sit across a mother who this happened to, it becomes a lot more real. Um, so, so I can I can show you a clip uh, uh, of her talking about this right here. Right. Well, you've warned us, uh, so this is not for the faint-hearted. Here, take a look. Well, this is very troubling, but you know, I think we need to be troubled just the same way we don't like the sound of an alarm when we get up early in the morning, but we need the alarm to wake us up. Or you could say a fire alarm is even more important. We need to hear it, even if it's unpleasant. And I think that you are raising an alarm, especially for people who don't know these things, who maybe live in a suburban neighborhood and don't go into places where these uh, homeless encampments and these free drug uh, uh, areas are. I, I think that's the alarm. So we would prefer to look away, but I don't think that's going to fix it. Hey, I want to end on a more positive note because you got to keep hope alive. Otherwise, what's the point? I mean, you obviously made this movie to make a difference, to motivate change. And so let me ask you to end on a hopeful note. Was there something in your journeys that gave you a flicker and thought, you know what, this is reversible. It is not our destiny. We can make a better fate. Was there something that fits that description? I'll tell you two, I'll two stories and they're, and they're connected. The first one is that uh, I talked with probably a dozen individuals who are addicts in recovery, people who had been homeless, who had been addicted to fentanyl, who have now incredibly turned their lives around um, and are helping other people and pushing the message of hope and pushing that me message of addiction recovery. And what I took away from that is, you know, you can see these, these apocalyptic like scenes. And it's amazing that the people in that situation, they can be helped. They can be saved. They can return back to society as law abiding taxpaying and productive, happy citizens and fathers and mothers and sons and daughters. Uh, there is hope out there. And I saw that hope with my, my own two eyes and, uh, no, no better example of that, I would say, was Marshall Smith, who's who's uh, became the chief of staff uh, to the Alberta premier and who um, uh, used to be homeless on the downtown east side, has now risen to that, obviously, position. 
And um, we got a tour with him uh, through these uh, 10 uh, giant treatment facilities that Alberta is now building. Alberta has stopped the federally the federal the federal liberal government's attempt to push free opioids uh, into Albertan streets, and they put a stop to that program. And instead, they are focusing on treatment uh, and rehabilitation, and, um, and and getting more people, uh, you know, to get that social to get that agency back over their their own personal lives, and and not look at the person that's struggling on the street and say all you need are more free drugs, and saying yeah. actually no, yeah. we're not going to enable and, nor and normalize this. So we got some incredible uh, uh, kind of exclusive tours of these facilities mm -hmm. before they open. So I'd love to show you that clip because uh, oh. that left me with a lot. Of Okay, let's take a quick look at that. Give us a hope, a bit of hope. Take a look. As part of the goal to extend treatment and recovery to all Albertans who require it, regardless of ability to pay, Alberta has begun construction of 11 large treatment facilities spread out across the province. In Red Deer, the first such facility is almost ready to open. A brand new building I was given a chance to tour with Marshall Smith. Aaron, this is the first of 10 large recovery communities that we're building here in Alberta. Uh, these are different than the sort of normal treatment centers, which are short-term 28-day programs. These facilities are large, high-capacity facilities where clients can come and stay for up to a year at a time. It's individualized care with full medical services. In the one in Rentier, it's 75 beds, 50 on the male side, 25 on the female side. It's separated, they've got separate kitchens. And people are gonna be put through the work. They're going to, have, going to do the therapy in the morning and chores in the afternoon or vice versa. And they're going to have to learn how to cook, learn how to take care of themselves, learn how to take care of the facility, learn how to do some community gardening. Maybe we'll end up seeing some kind of farmer's market there. And we'll be coaching people through how to develop the life skills so that they can get their individual agency back and then setting them on a pathway where they can pay it forward and help others. I, I think that that is a much more inspiring vision than, than simply um, watching people slowly killing themselves, which is I think what the alternative approach has been. We, we, don't, we won't give up on people. Um, and they are healing communities. Um, but things are done in groups, right? And they live a very structured day. Uh, in contrast to um, the pure housing model, uh, where people come in and they get a hotel room and that they can continue to use drugs in their hotel room and uh, and there's no structure to that. Um, I would say that that can be very dangerous and uh, you know 75% of fatal overdoses occur at home on the living room floor. So if you're giving somebody a living room floor and you are allowing them to continue using drugs in your facility the chances are you're probably gonna find somebody dead. Instead of warehousing addicts in hotel rooms like the BC government, these Alberta treatment facilities aim to build recovery communities. Sure, well, we call them recovery communities, recovery communities. for a reason, right? Because uh, it isn't just the treatment of addiction that happens here. It is a, a reintegration into community. It's a rebuilding of community. Uh, when people are on the street, um, whether they're in tent encampments or you know you see homeless people gathering, uh, that they do that because that is their community, right? That you know whether that community is attractive to us or not is irrelevant. Addiction is an illness of loneliness, despair, and isolation, and so the antidote to that is building facilities like this where people can come together, where they're not lonely, where they're not isolated, and where they're not in despair. 
Any opioid uh, vending machines here? No opioid vending machines no. here. No. no. We're no. going to skip the opioid vending machines. As a government, we believe very deeply that our job as government is to be the cheerleader in chief. We have an obligation to provide the tools, facilities like this, like we do in all kinds of other areas of healthcare, um, to give the people of Alberta the best shot at recovery. For this, the Alberta model has received international attention, hosting a global conference in 2023 to showcase to the world its early success. Over the last decade, we've seen the issues of addiction, homelessness, and public safety grow and affect every community in Alberta. Something definitely does need to be done in the criminal justice system, and you're bringing something that hopefully will get worldwide and fast. Now in Alberta, first jurisdiction, I think anywhere in North America, any Albertan, any time of day, anywhere you live, free of charge with no wait list, can receive treatment on demand, right? Uh, and that is Well, Aaron, I salute you. You've done a hell of a job as usual. Now, I, I, I want to leave, and, and I just want to mention this because I think you're a very responsible journalist. I think you're very fair. I think you're even-handed. I mean, you you have a mission, it's clear, but um, I think you do responsible journalism. Uh, no one would say you're a bomb thrower, so to speak. And yet, when you uploaded a trailer, like a little teaser promo of this to YouTube, they slapped it with an age warning. So it was no longer free on the internet. You had to stop, log in, prove your... Like it was this whole owner's thing, which killed that thing immediately. And yeah, there are some sad and emotionally challenging parts of the video, but it's not gratuitous. It's not titillating. It's not obscene by any of the definitions that something might normally be censored. And when I heard that YouTube had blocked essentially blocked your trailer i thought that is political that is political tell me a little bit about that now they haven't done that to the main movie i understand which is weird because the trailer is extracted from the main movie i think they're just messing with you am i being too paranoid here what do you think i mean sometimes it's hard uh it's hard to differentiate incompetence from maliciousness. So I'm not sure what YouTube is doing. They did demonetize the main documentary, which is... What did they say is, the reason was for that? Uh, they implied that it was promoting drug use, which is... Oh my God, that's the opposite. <laughs> that's what I was uh, would, would point out. And then they, they said, uh, I know it was too... And the thing is, it's basically showing what you can see if you walk downtown Vancouver. And apparently um, that's too shocking for Canadians. What, what I pointed out is almost all of the clips or all of the footage um, that they would object to is just taken from nightly newscasts, uh, uh, you know, over the past year or two. So it's, it's um, and, and also they didn't do it to Vancouver's Dying, which is the prequel to this. So, I mean, it may, this might be a bit of an inside baseball thing, but it is, it is very hard as a filmmaker to, uh, this is why I'm hoping there's going to be new platforms like Twitter uh, that are more creator friendly um that don't create all this uh, high degree of uncertainty when it comes to trying to make projects like this because you know there's supposed to be an exception youtube plays out for educational or document uh you know documentary content and then um you get hit with with for a small director and producer like me it's a big blind side all of a sudden to have your trailer slapped with an age restriction which as you pointed out essentially blocks it they stop the distribution of it 
Yeah. Um, and then for the main video to be demonetized, yeah. uh, it's got 800,000 views right now. So, I mean, this is, um, uh, if it gets up into the millions, like Vancouver is dying, that's, uh, you know, talking thousands of dollars. So it's, um, I don't know if they're keeping the money or what's, I'm pretty sure there's still ads running on it. So it's, uh, it's very frustrating to work with these social media companies. Uh, I will say I've had my problems with Facebook in the past. They seem to have no problem with this video. It's, it's up without any, uh, you know, demonetization or, or, or blocking of any kind. And obviously it's up on rumble as well. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very frustrating as a small town, as a small time kind of producer and director of this content. I know, uh, Rebels had issues with YouTube as well, so it's um, uh, fingers crossed that Twitter can can really grow into a proper alternative. Yeah, I know that Twitter now allows long form videos, like two hour videos. So hopefully that'll be a, a forum for you. Also, listen, Aaron, it's great to catch up with you. Thanks for taking so much time, and thanks for showing us those three clips. Uh, the movie is called Canada Is Dying. You can find it on YouTube, Rumble, and the other places. That Aaron mentioned, and uh, listen, we wish you wish you so much success, and we can hardly wait till your next project. Keep up the fight and keep being creative and expressive, because you know that that's not a strong suit of our side of the aisle. And I'm so glad you're doing it. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Ezra. Really appreciate it. All right, our pleasure. There you have it, Aaron Gunn. The movie is called Canada's Dying. You can find it on the internet. Stay with us. More ahead. Hey, welcome back. I have three letters to the editor I'd like to read to you. And the first one uh, is quite critical. Here, let me read it to you. It's from Aaron Roadnight, who says, your first endorsement, as you said, this is the first endorsement in your history. And it's not for someone extraordinary who is fulfilling promises, kicking out the left-wing media and making a province country free. No, it's for someone who routinely changes stories on whether she can pardon, grant amnesty for different stories. A truthful person has one story and tells the truth they have nothing to hide. You should endorse someone who believes in freedom, liberty, and stands behind it. Arthur Pawlowski, Maxime Bernier, for example. This endorsement, again, has led to bias. When Arthur Pawlowski did a press conference, Rebel News was nowhere to be found, breaking their promise to newsreaders to tell the other side of the story. In this case, Danielle, broken leadership story. Well, uh, I have known Arthur Pawlowski for more than a decade. Even back at Sun News Network Times, we would talk about him and how he was persecuted by the police. Here at Rebel News, we've done the same, and then we've gone one better. We have crowdfunded his legal defense. He has had more than a dozen, I think the number's like 17, actually, court appearances, and we have crowdfunded his lawyers. That said, my support for Arthur Pawlowski is as a Christian pastor who stood for freedom of religion and defying government authoritarianism. I think that his new political party, to be very candid, does not have a chance of winning, a chance of winning at all. I think it won't even get one percent of the vote. Um, but even if it did, that's not my interest in Arthur Pawlowski. My interest in him is the civil liberties battles he's in, not just to protect him from the state, but to set a precedent for freedom. Um, I was at Arthur Pavlovsky's rally in Lethbridge outside his trial about a month ago um, when he talked about his new party. So I, I don't know if it's accurate to say we haven't covered it, but I don't know how newsworthy it is because it, it was registered just days before the election. And there will be only two parties that have a chance of winning, Rachel Dauntley's NDP or Danielle Smith's UCP. So uh, in fact, in my endorsement, I wanted to uh, make clear that I thought Danielle Smith actually took a lot of um, 
blows, took a lot of bruises from the media and the NDP for her defense of people who were hit with lockdown fines. So I disagree with you on that. Next letter is from Lise Dumont, who says, I already voted. Danielle has my vote. There's no other option. If NDP gets in, it will be the death of Alberta. I'm shocked to see orange signs on people's property. Do they not have a memory of what happened the last time the NDP were in power in Alberta? Man, people are blind or just ignorant. You know, I'm reminded about Donald Trump, who I think was an outstanding president. And uh, we see that now that he's gone. I mean, inflation, price of gas, uh, unemployment, uh, war in Ukraine, looming war in Taiwan, all sorts of things gone mad. Um, but people said he had mean tweets. Okay, so you got yourself a President Joe Biden, who I think is cognitively impaired. And the one thing you know is he's not doing mean tweets because I don't think he writes any of his own tweets or any of his own speeches at all. And my analogy is Danielle Smith muses out loud, and maybe she shouldn't do so as much, although a lot of the clips being used against her, historic clips, was from when she was a journalist. But that's an aesthetic. That is an extraneous incident. The heart, the character of her campaign is a smaller government, freedom-oriented government, which is far more important. Rachel Notley's core is not her friendly smile and happy demeanor. Her core is an authoritarian socialism. I'm worried that too many people are voting based on feelings rather than the devastation that Rachel Notley will bring. Uh, Alberta Patriot One says, I still think the only way for Alberta to get out of serfdom is to leave Canada. I think $600 billion is enough welfare for the East. Our province could have used that money for new hospitals and schools in combating the communist scourge. All right, well, let me throw a point back to you. Who is the challenger? Who is the risk of turning Alberta into a, to use your word, a communist scourge? Well, it's not anyone from Ottawa or Toronto or Quebec. It's Rachel Notley, who was born in Alberta. The risk to Alberta today, literally today, is from Albertans. And having Alberta as a separate country, I don't know if that would fix that problem. I am nervous that Alberta can't even get its own house right. I agree with you generally that Confederation has been economically a losing game for Alberta. Alberta has been punished in a number of ways. Justin Trudeau regularly beats up Alberta for the delight of his liberal voters. But I'm not sure if an independent Alberta that votes NDP is any better or worse than an in, than in Alberta, a Canadian province that votes NDP. That's our show for today. We'll have so much news on the election results tomorrow. And please watch our live stream tonight. Until next time, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. And keep fighting for freedom.